The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. The start to uh, today's COVID 19 update with Dr. Hinshaw has been delayed by a few minutes. So we'll get to that as soon as it begins. Uh, do want to let you know, and you've been hearing about it uh, during the news, that Education Minister Adriana Lagrange updated the school situation in the province today. And I know a lot of you parents, <laughs> you've been like waiting to hear, tell me something. Uh, well, she says no decisions have been made on school operations for the 2020-21 school year starting in September. But she says the province is working with school authorities, uh, partners, the boards, all of that sort of thing. Thing to develop what they're calling a comprehensive re-entry plan that considers and takes a look at three different scenarios which could exist by September. And those three scenarios are... Scenario one, that I know you and many others, myself included, hope for, is that for, for schools to be open and operating as much as possible under normal conditions. For scenario two, we are envisioning an environment where schools are generally open, but with some health restrictions in place. This could include PPE measures or physical distancing guidelines for certain classes. And scenario three is that teacher-directed at-home learning continues. So, again, three different uh, scenarios that they are looking at that hopefully, you know, in the best case scenario that um, normal school operations could resume. And I think that's what everyone would like. Is that the possible? Is that the reality? Not sure at this point. You know, we're still uh, a few months away from that. That uh, number two, that we'll go back to school, but there's going to be some restrictions. I saw on Twitter last night a list of restrictions put out by... I I think it was in Quebec, actually, uh, a parent had posted some of the restrictions um, that are in place for their child going back to the school. And some of them are like, with these restrictions in place, I'm going to keep my kid at home. Uh, It was it was it was pretty uh, strict restrictions uh, on that one. And uh, the other possibility, the third possibility, which I I know um, I I suspect that uh, parents don't want. I don't think the kids want it. I think the teachers want to get back in the classroom. But the third one would be that teacher-directed at-home learning continues. So uh, what they're saying is that this re-entry plan has to prioritize, and we know that. We're hearing this over and over again, safety and the well-being of the students, the teachers, the staff, um, and, and also... You know, of course, that's that's the big one. So we know that uh, the province has been the parents have you know maybe kind of been muddling through with some of this, maybe struggling with the at home teaching. Maybe some of the students are as well. Maybe some of the teachers are uh, as well. But the province also announcing today that uh, they have some help for parents. To help with these concerns, Alberta Education has created a helpline for parents and families. This will be managed by staff at Alberta Education who can assist with answering questions or directing parents to resources provided by their school authorities. The phone number is 780-422-6548. It can be reached toll-free by first dialing 310-0000. Staff can also be reached via email at studentsupport at gov.ab.ca. 
So if that interests you, you can check out uh, that. Uh, She also said, and this was interesting, I thought, too, that the openings could be modified depending on what is happening in each region, that they would consider that, um, saying that, you know, for example, if the numbers were still low in Edmonton and continue to be low, that they might be able to make decisions on going back to school based on that in a local area, while other areas with higher caseloads would be delayed. Uh, you know, the, the province has been asked about pockets of the province opening up while others aren't, and at this point that wasn't really an option. But we'll see what happens. Again, how many months away are we from September? But... We'll see how that shakes down over the months to come. How has homeschooling been going, parents, students, teachers? Let me know at 780-496-0063. I know the teacher that I live today had uh, an online uh, session with uh, a group of his students, about, I don't know, probably about 20 of them on there having that uh, Q&A session and, you know, figuring out what's going on and what's not going on. So it's been interesting to watch again as we all learn how to work and teach and learn from home. Um, but let me know if you, if you have a moment. want to get to this uh, as we head into this briefing, just some of the, the numbers on a national level. Uh, the death toll from COVID-19 rose to uh, 4,111 today. That uh, exceeded the national projections that uh, 3,883 Canadians would die by May 5th. Uh, Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Theresa Tam, says uh, the increased numbers of deaths is due, not surprising here because we're seeing it across the country, the the increased number of deaths is due to the ones occurring mostly in long-term care facilities, but she says the epidemic appears to be slowing down and uh, that the doubling time for infections is now at about 20 days. So the epidemic itself is the decelerating. But unfortunately and tragically what's happening right now is that those who have been infected are uh, coming to the end of the clinical outcome and uh, with so many long-term care facilities affected, I think that the number of deaths will continue to increase. In terms of number of deaths and the projections are very much dependent on some of the measures that are being put in place. So when it comes to testing, Canada is on track to complete its millionth test for COVID-19 sometime in the next uh, 24 hours. Uh, the province, the province of Alberta, is still doing a great job with testing. And you remember that announcement yesterday um, that uh, big bucks going into um, increasing testing capacity, that they were buying new equipment that should um get up to hopefully about 16,000 tests a day Um, right now running on average about 5,000 so uh, she says there's an even growing importance attached to the number of tests because um, as we slowly reopen the economy and increase um, COVID-19 surveillance this is an important part of it and Dr. Tam saying that businesses and customers that you are going to have to remain vigilant as things start to reopen. For every establishment, whether it's a school or workplace, that there is a plan 
in place for the distancing between people, for all the hygienic measures, also to watch for symptoms. Dealing with a virus, which is actually quite difficult to detect or deal with, those distancing measures and your hand hygiene measures are absolutely fundamental. And so I think schools will schedule people so that maybe there's less students in a class and of course using the tele uh, remote learning in order to increase the spacing. As I mentioned, the long-term care facilities continue to be a real challenge uh, across the country. Uh, there's about a thousand military members uh, deployed to, to help on that front now. Uh, on the vaccine front, uh, work continues in countries around the world. Uh, one in the U.S., a clinical trial is, is underway, and it involves researchers injecting healthy volunteers with four COVID-19 vaccine candidates from Pfizer and uh, and another German partner. The volunteers have already received their first injections. That race is on to develop that vaccine. So here at home, uh, again, you know, that huge outbreak, the biggest outbreak at the Cargill meatpacking plant uh, in southern Alberta. At Cargill today, there was a moment of silence uh, to honor an employee who died of COVID-19. Um, 67-year-old Hepbu spent 23 years at Cargill, 23 years at the slaughterhouse, picking uh, beef bones out of hamburger meat. She died two days after falling ill during her shift at the plant, which was shut down, as you know, for two weeks by the COVID-19 outbreak. Um Today, outside the plant, those union-led protests continued. Uh, joining today's rally was uh, Gil McGowan. He is the president of the Alberta Federation of Labour. He says the outbreaks uh, at the meat packing plants and nursing homes, he's really worried about because they, uh, they account for about 40% of Alberta's COVID-19 cases. If we continue to fail workers, uh, you know, it's going to spread from the plants out into the broader public. But also we have to put it in the context of this, these plants to relaunch. And, you know, if, you know, our question for uh, the premier is that if, you know, if he can't keep workers who he's deemed essential safe, uh, how on earth is he going to be able to uh, keep the rest of Albertans safe as they go back to work? So McGowan released a 10-point plan that labor groups say must be followed uh, in order to lift pandemic restrictions safely. And this one's an interesting one. Think about this. I don't know how many of you, as soon as we heard May 14th and thought about, oh, maybe the barbers and the hairstylists, that they were going to open up shop again, or that was potentially the day that they could do it. How many of us contacted uh, the, the people that do our hair and say, I need an appointment, I need it badly? Well, there's an online petition that continues to grow, calling on the provincial government to reconsider the reopening of hair salons next week. The petition has about um, 5,000 virtual signatures on it so far. It says salons and barbershops should not reopen on May 14th because there is no way to maintain social distancing. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen there. There's also concerns about having personal protective equipment, what kind should be used, how much should be used, is there enough? Uh, you can check out that uh, petition at change.org. Some of your texts coming in this afternoon. I was asking about how the homeschooling is going. 
Hey, Jay. From the point of view of a teacher, things are going very well, all things considered. Staff have been working very hard to provide a quality online education within the parameters that are imposed. The sad part is that students have had to miss out on important subjects such as music and phys ed over the course of this pandemic. Teachers, and I'm sure parents, all hope that we'll be able to resume in the fall. Only time will tell. My cousin, this is Sarah, my cousin teaches grade one. I asked her in a text message last night how it's going. She said there are only a few students participating with her class. She maintains her efforts because she loves teaching. Something else, though, about her, she's pregnant and due in late August, so she's being exceptionally careful as well. Uh, JD780, is there no update to date? Yes, there is. We are just in a holding pattern until we get to it. And this one says, I can't get my employees back to work because they have to stay at home to help school their kids. So interesting. Um, I'd like to hear from some parents, actually, who are helping the kids and seeing how it's going at home. And as far as the restaurants go, whether or not you're going to go back, this text came in and said, uh, I saw the manager of our favorite place, Mountain Pizza and Steak in White Court, made a reservation for the 19th of May. We had our first date there 40 years ago on April 19th, and we want them to succeed, and we know they will do everything they can to keep us safe. And again, uh, you know, it's it's going to be up to each person, individually, how they feel. If you want to stay hunkered down for a couple of more weeks or maybe a month, that is completely your call. Trucker Dave texted in yesterday and said, you know, I'm going to wait a couple more weeks. I think we're going to wait a couple more weeks. I need to get to the chiropractor. But, you know, when I was talking to, to John over at Leading Edge, I said, you know what, I, I still need to wait a couple more weeks to do so. I had a dentist appointment this morning, uh, an appointment with the oral surgeon, was a little nervous about going out uh, for that, but was really, really impressed on how they handled it as soon as you walked in sanitizer um, a sanitized pen here's the paperwork go sit down fill it out come back sanitize again uh, before seeing um, the surgeon um, I had to rinse with hydrogen peroxide and water which had never had to do before and I've seen you know this this oral surgeon for for quite some time so that was the other step everyone had masks on and um, the the PP the 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 masks over the eyes as well. I wore a mask. Uh, my doctor, my dentist wore a mask through the entire thing. And on the way back out, again, the same sort of thing. It was, um, you know, sanitize, sanitize, sanitize. So it was, I felt good about it. The, the experience made me feel good. Um, I'll see how I feel again in a couple more weeks before going out to something that is just something I want to do, not something that I have to do. Uh, it's 3.53, Dr. Dina Hinshaw about to start her news conference. It looks like it is just Dr. Dina Hinshaw this afternoon. Yesterday, um, there were some new deaths and a smaller number of new cases. Here she is with today's latest. Today, I'd like to provide an update on COVID-19 and the meat processing plant outbreaks in our province. First, for the general update, we have done 3,494 tests over the last 24 hours. From these, the number of confirmed cases has increased by 70 to a total of 5,963 in Alberta. 3,552 of these have now recovered from COVID-19. 
I am sad to report the total number of deaths has increased by six, bringing our total to 112. Once again, I want to express my heartfelt condolences to these families. Our thoughts go out to everyone who loved these individuals and all those grieving their loss today. As of today, there have been 632 cases of COVID-19 in continuing care facilities across the province. We continue to do everything possible to protect the residents and staff at these facilities. At the Cargill facility, there are now 946 cases in workers with 798 that have now recovered. There have also been 566 cases among workers at the JBS plant in Brooks. Of these, 434 have now recovered. Finally, at Harmony Beef, there are 38 confirmed cases, including 12 who have now recovered. I want to be clear that we are monitoring each of these outbreaks very closely, working with operators to contain the spread and making sure that all public health measures are being enforced and taken seriously. We are also making sure to support workers to contain the spread in all settings as a focus on just a single work site will not stop an outbreak. I know many are concerned about these outbreaks and the reopening of Cargill on May 4th. I'd like to briefly go over the measures that have been implemented to date to protect the health and safety of workers going forward. Alberta Health Services and Occupational Health and Safety are both visiting each outbreak site regularly to ensure control measures are implemented and to provide ongoing advice and support. All meat processing facilities in Alberta with outbreaks underway have implemented safety controls that meet requirements identified by AHS, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, Occupational Health and Safety Legislation and my orders. In fact, all food processing facilities in Alberta are expected to have implemented these measures. These controls are tailored in the facilities to address the needs of the situation and operation. For example, controls in place include staff temperature checks and symptom checks before entering the facility, face masks and other personal protective equipment provided to employees and worn at all times, enhanced cleaning and sanitizing practices, staggered breaks and shift flexibility to prevent gatherings, installing additional sinks where needed to ensure that hand washing can be done while distance is maintained, and increasing distance between employees to ensure two meters of separation. I have received assurance from Alberta Health Services and Occupational Health and Safety on site that these controls are in place and they meet the requirements outlined by public health orders. In addition, Alberta Health Services has conducted three inspections at Cargill, four at JBS and two at Harmony Beef. I have confidence in my public health colleagues who are doing this work. We will continue to communicate with operators and affected staff at these sites. The Alberta government has hosted a telephone town hall for those affected by the Cargill outbreak to respond to concerns and questions from workers, employers and the broader community. AHS has also hosted virtual town halls for employees, providing information in multiple languages. I know there are many questions as to what led to such significant outbreaks. I have been told that investigations into Cargill and JBS are now being conducted by Occupational Health and Safety. This will include investigations of any potential non-compliance that may have affected the health and safety of workers at the facility.
Complex investigations such as this one can take a significant amount of time to complete. I've been assured that more information will be shared as the situation evolves. What I can say is that whenever an exposure occurs in any setting, new cases can be seen for up to two weeks after that exposure, even if all outbreak measures are implemented. We also know that transmission can happen in multiple settings, worksite as well as off the worksite. Testing is essential to managing outbreaks. To help prevent the spread in the communities themselves, we have established assessment centers for staff and community members in both Brooks and High River. Testing is being offered to all workers in outbreaks, including those without symptoms. I want to emphasize that the health and safety of these workers and all Albertans remains our first priority. If any worker feels like their safety concerns are not being addressed by their employer, I encourage them to contact the Occupational Health and Safety Contact Centre. I know that Albertans want these outbreaks to be over immediately. If I had the power to do so, I would make that happen. Unfortunately, this virus is like a forest fire. Once it has started to spread, there are no simple or immediate ways to put it out. It takes time and hard work and proven practices that slow the spread. We are making progress. We will win this fight. We have implemented lessons learned at Cargill at other work sites that are experiencing outbreaks to be sure that every effort is made to prevent spread. As we look forward to resuming normal activities later this May, it is critical that Albertans, including workers, continue to maintain physical distancing, practice good hand hygiene and sanitizing measures, both at the work site as well as outside the work site. Employers are required to put measures in place to protect their employees from spread. As always, we are all in this together and everyone's work counts. Thank you and I'm happy to take questions. All right, we'll now go to the phone. In addition to Dr. Inshout, we also have Dr. Mark Jaffe, Vice President and Medical Director with AHS. Operator, could you please put through the first question? James Keller with the Globe and Mail. Go ahead, James. Hi there. Can we talk a bit about phase one? Uh, the date was, you know, as early as May 14th. We're basically a week out. Um, what do we know about uh, whether we'll be ready then? Um, how close to that date will we be making the decision? Is it a game time decision? Just tell me a bit about where we are and what the next week will look like in terms of actually making a call. Sure. So uh, we're closely monitoring our indicators, which include the number of people in hospital uh, for COVID-19, the number of people in ICU, and the number of new cases. Uh, so today, with respect to the number of people hospitalized, we have 82 people in hospital, with 19 of those admitted to ICU. So we are uh, tracking a little bit under our high water mark on those numbers, which was happening uh, last week. With respect to total number of new cases, uh, we did see 70 new cases today, which again is less than we had been seeing over the, the last week. Um, we are watching that closely and some of that does relate to testing campaigns that are being done in different settings, particularly in outbreak settings. And so those are the kinds of numbers that we're watching really closely to see whether or not uh, the opening measures that we're looking at for stage one uh, might be 
uh, appropriate to do so next week. And so those are the kinds of things that will inform a recommendation that my team and I will put together and bring forward to the Emergency Management Cabinet Committee that brings into uh, consideration both all of those metrics as well as thinking about the different kinds of activities that are in stage one uh, and how those things can be done safely. Uh, we are encouraging all workplaces and uh, businesses across the province to work with their provincial associations to adapt the workplace guidance, the document that's on the alberta.ca website uh, because businesses and different industry settings, different sectors will know their operations much better better than we will. And so that guidance, that broad, broadly applicable guidance that's on our website should be used to create industry specific guidance that then uh, can be reviewed and we can make sure that uh, those sectors that are ready to go with those kinds of safe opening um, guidelines are poised to do so when the numbers tell us that it's safe to do so. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Laurent Thoreau with Radio Canada. Go ahead, please. Yes, I was wondering uh, whether you had a good idea now about what happened uh, during Easter. Do we know that people um, indeed stayed home and, and followed your guideline, or do you have any indications that people may have uh, been out a bit more than you wish? Uh, that's a good question, and certainly nothing was reported to me with respect to any kind of a spike in, for example, complaints that were reported to the Alberta Health Services Environmental Public Health Team about any kind of increased volume of people out and about or uh, gathering in larger groups. Uh, so I'm, I'm not sure whether or not there was a concern. We didn't necessarily see a spike in new cases that was noticeable after Easter uh, on a broad base across the province. Uh, but ultimately, I, I don't have a, a specific way of, of knowing whether or not that happened, but it, not to my knowledge. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Michael King with Global News. Go ahead, Michael. Hi there, Dr. Hinshaw. We know that Edmonton's numbers have basically remained unchanged for the last five days, but Calgary and other zones continue to see a rise. What's the biggest uh, factor when it comes to uh, Calgary versus Edmonton now that we've gone past kind of the, the travelers and, and even the outbreaks are starting to level off? And how will that impact the uh, phase one or, or even further down the road, phase two, phase three approach for reopening? So uh, the difference between Calgary and Edmonton um, I think has changed over time. We've talked before about the fact that early on, uh, as you mentioned, there was that travel difference with more travelers coming back to Calgary. Uh, we have then seen some of these large outbreaks, particularly the Cargill outbreak, impacting the numbers in Calgary. Uh, and then more recently, as we've seen some of those numbers from the Cargill outbreak uh, start to, to taper off, that's less of a driver, but some of that is still the remaining um, secondary spread or sometimes a, a third generation of spread, uh, sometimes from, from those interconnected cases uh, that we saw in that outbreak. 
The other cases over and above that, uh, we are working with our epidemiology team to see if there's a particular pattern that we can um, flag to see where people may have been acquiring the disease. And so far, we, we haven't seen a particular single factor that's driving it. Uh, we continue to do that work to investigate the records of people in Calgary, especially those who are not contacts of known cases. Uh, but so far, we haven't identified a significant commonality. Uh, but again, we, we continue to um, pursue that to see if there is a pattern that we can uncover. With respect to the question about going forward and regional variation, uh, I think that's uh, something that, that we would have to be discussing with uh, the municipalities that have more cases to try to understand uh, what is happening and that we would need to be informed by our epidemiology. And that work again is underway with respect to that assessment. So no decisions have been made yet about what that, uh, if any, regional decision making would happen with the relaunch next week. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Kevin Nimick with CTV. Go ahead, Kevin. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, as you have uh, said, we've seen several days in a row uh, with fewer cases reported than we were seeing over the last couple weeks. Does that mean we're flattening the curve? And what is our target in terms of an infection rate? So uh, we have, I think, flattened the curve in general across the province and, and some locations are uh, more flat than others. We did see steep increases related to some of the outbreaks that have been happening in Calgary and South Zone and some of that transmission is, is tapering off. I will say that last week we were in the middle of doing a lot of enhanced testing in outbreak settings, and that included testing of employees at work sites where outbreaks were happening. It included uh, testing in uh, the community of Brooks, uh, where there are a significant number of cases and offering testing uh, to people who were even asymptomatic in that community, given the high number of cases. And and so I would say that last week, many of the cases that we were seeing uh, were driven by that expanded testing and that focus on outbreak settings. So I think we can take the reduction in the number of cases uh, cautiously as, as good news. We certainly want to see that. Uh, but I think we're, we're still watching really closely because we know that depending on the setting, even a few cases can spread quickly to others if there are groups gathered together where prevention uh, measures are not being taken. And so we continue to have that message of asking people to stay safe, follow the prevention measures that we've talked about before. Um, with respect to what kinds of numbers we're looking at, uh, we really need to be seeing that our cases are stable or declining, our hospitalizations particularly are stable or declining. We know that there is a balance between supporting Albertans' health by preventing the spread of the virus and supporting Albertans' health uh, by uh, making sure that the other factors that Albertans need for a, a whole person healthiness, which is social connection, uh, employment, recreation, that we need to be ensuring that we're thinking about Albertans' health holistically and bringing those two pieces together. So we will continue to see some cases. We may even see a slight rise in cases as we cautiously move into our relaunch phase. 
Uh, but what we don't want to see is any kind of a steep increase. We don't want to see uh, an increase of greater than 5% of our hospitalizations. We want to see that staying level uh, and ideally, you know, as much as we can, uh, try to make that flat and or declining over time. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is Jason Herring with the Calgary Herald. Go ahead, Jason. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Uh, given the dramatic community spread that we're seeing in Brooks, is there any chance that, that there will be a delay in reopening or relaxing restrictions in that community uh, beyond the tentative May 14th date or whenever phase one happens? Uh, as well, I'm wondering why we didn't hear an update on Harmony Beef for more than a month with these press conferences while nearly three dozen more cases were confirmed during that period. So with respect to Brooks, uh, the framework for regional decision making is being worked out. Uh, so certainly there are certain locations in the province where there are more cases than others, uh, but there have been no final decisions about what kind of a process we would use to determine uh, whether or not in a particular region we would need to be slower at reopening than others. So that discussion is underway. With respect to Harmony, so there was a single case at Harmony that occurred, uh, I believe it was in March, um, and that single case did not spread. There was containment measures that were put in place. And then uh, there were a few cases that were reported. Um, I'm trying to think when I first learned of them, we'd have to get back to you on the date. Uh, but the total number of cases that were reported was relatively small up until just uh, last week uh, when there were additional cases identified and then outbreak measures were put in place with additional testing. And so the bulk of the cases that have been identified were identified last week, uh, which is when we started sharing information about Harmony in these press conferences. Operator, could you please through the next question? Jeff Slack with 660 News. Go ahead, Jeff. Hi there. Just on phase one, um, restaurants aren't sure how they'll be able to maintain physical distancing, and they want to know, is it safe enough to open their business without strict physical distancing measures, or are they expected to maintain it? I was wondering if you could give some advice on some of those businesses who do work in uh, smaller uh, settings. Sure. So uh, certainly there are businesses in stage one. We've had that question about hairstylists as well as now restaurants. Um, and we know that the distancing requirements are challenging to maintain, for example, in a restaurant between a, a server and patrons. So uh, my understanding is that the restaurant associations have been looking at the guidance documents that we've put out on the website and are considering what kinds of adjustments they could make, uh, or I should say um, how those guidance documents can be uh, incorporated into the context of restaurants. And there are certain kinds of additional measures that can be taken when distancing can't be maintained, such as wearing masks. And those are the kinds of things that uh, we're definitely uh, interested in talking to the restaurant asso associations about. And it's my understanding that we will be receiving some documents from them as they've thought through how the guidance we've put out would be applied to settings to make sure that patrons and staff are safe. So again, that work is, is currently underway. All right, we've got time for three more questions. Operator, could you put through the first one, please? Next is Julia Wong with Global News. Go ahead, Julia. 
Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. Other countries have discovered COVID-19 emerged sooner than previously thought. I understand the province previously tested some community influenza samples from its surveillance network. How far back did that testing go and what else is being done to look for early incidences of the virus? And have there been any cases that predate March 5th? So the testing for our influenza network samples uh, started in March. So we haven't tested samples that were taken prior to that. And one of the things we're doing certainly is looking at the possibility of serology testing once there are serology kits that are validated and shown to perform well. We're looking at different options for sampling Albertans, some of whom uh, perhaps have never been shown to have COVID-19 through a swab, uh, but who may potentially have had infection in the past and not been aware of it. So those test uh, studies are being looked at and, and going through ethics approval to make sure that we're framing them in a way that's appropriate and that uh, we're thinking about who we would be offering those tests to. And that may help give us some insight into whether or not people were in fact infected prior to the first case that we knew about, which happened in March. Operator, could you please put through the next question? Next is David Staples with the Edmonton Journal. Go ahead, David. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. So um, many parents and teachers are worried about the um, health and educational impacts of uh, closing the schools on, on students. So I know there's many factors that you're looking at uh, in terms of schools. And I'm wondering what you think of that factor and what other factors, what are the big factors you're looking at in terms of reopening the schools in September? So exactly as you say, and um, as I was mentioning earlier, we know that catching COVID is only one potential health impact and that there's other health impacts, uh, particularly students who uh, rely on school as a place where uh, they you know, sometimes have access to uh, services that they're hard to access otherwise. It's a place where they can be with friends, um, get support from teachers, and obviously education is a, a critical component of students' health. So we don't take decisions lightly about uh, when we would be reopening schools, but we also know that because especially young children, uh, it can be difficult for them to maintain distancing. Uh, thinking about what those kinds of measures are that we could put in place to help a school uh, reduce the incidence of transmission of disease within that setting, keeping the students, keeping the um, staff and teachers safe and also the families that those students go home to and so that's work that we're going to be doing with the schools over the the coming months making sure that we're learning from other jurisdictions where schools have been opened earlier so we'll have the opportunity of looking at places uh, like Denmark uh, like Quebec where they are opening schools earlier and being able to understand what worked and what didn't in those settings and incorporating those lessons learned into our planning to make sure we're doing the best we can for students, teachers, staff, and families who have kids in Alberta schools. Excellent. Operator, could you please put through our final question? Jennifer Lee with CBC News. Go ahead, Jennifer. Hi, Dr. Hinshaw. My question's uh, about continuing care. And as you know, there's calls there are calls for, I guess, the province to take stronger measures to address um, 
the pandemic in continuing care. Um, some calls coming from seniors advocates, some coming from unions. Um, one call is for um, the province to step in and do inspections or investigations in all continuing care facilities to make sure that um, they're uh, following guidelines for pandemics. Um, there's also a call for um, AHS to step in earlier and take over operations earlier uh, if there are outbreaks or violations. Um, I guess, is that something that you're considering? Um, and if not, why not? Sure. So what I'll say with respect to that, the audits is we do have a team in the Ministry of Health that does audits and compliance inspections of continuing care facilities. And they've actually already started a, a proactive audit inspection plan uh, to make sure that they are getting out to facilities, starting with those facilities that have outbreaks and then moving into the facilities that do not and doing pro the proactive inspections to make sure that all of the measures laid out in the continuing care orders are being implemented and everything that can be done to protect residents and staff is in place. So yes, that that has already begun and, and is underway. Uh, with respect to what more can be done to protect the individuals living in these environments and knowing that these are environments where people are, are very um, sensitive and at high risk of severe outcomes. Uh, we have been working regularly with operators of these facilities. Uh, in fact, I just met with a group of them this morning and I have another meeting with a group of them next week uh, because what we want to do is make sure that we are taking the input of the operators of families, of residents, to understand how we can get the best outcome for people living in these facilities, how we can protect them from the spread of virus, but also how we can ensure that the other things that they need to stay healthy, uh, that we can try to provide that for them in the safest way possible. What I think we need to recall is that this virus will be with us for many, many months to come. And so a, a measure such as uh, having absolutely no visitors at all in a facility for no reason at all, uh, that might be something we could put up with for a few weeks, would be much harder to manage for say eight months. Um, and again, we, we need to plan ahead and know that this virus is going to be with us. So we have to protect residents from infection at the same time as supporting them uh, to have a quality of life and making sure that we're working on that balance in conjunction with residents, with families, with operators. Uh, and I know that um, operators are doing their best in a challenging time with a lot of new requirements. And so I do ask families and friends of people who are living in these facilities to work with the operators and to remember that we have just made some changes to our visitation requirements that allow more of that kind of visiting to happen. But I would ask those family and friends of, of people in uh, continuing care facilities to remember that again, there are always these trade-offs. So the more people that go into facilities, uh, the more risk of that potential introduction. Uh, yet when we have no visitors, it also increases the risk of isolation, loneliness, and uh, some challenges on the other side for residents who are in there. So again, uh, it is about balance. It is about finding the path forward that uh, seeks to achieve safety and wellness for those residents and those staff. And we're on that path with the operators, with the residents and with their families. Thank you all for joining us. We will provide another update tomorrow afternoon.
You've been listening to Dr. Dina Hinshaw. She gives her daily COVID-19 update. Uh, just going back to the start, um, there have been 70 new cases in the province. Again, another relatively low number compared to the 300s that we had been seeing in the past couple of weeks. The total number of cases uh, now sits at 5,963. More than 3,000 of those have recovered. There were six new deaths bringing that toll to 112. Uh, she went on to give an update on um, the situation in the meatpacking plants, uh, Cargill, JBS and Harmony, as well as, you know, some interesting questions again, you know, looking at outlining what she needs to see in place for schools to reopen the difference between the calgary and edmonton numbers uh, something that we touched on earlier about uh, the possibility or the education minister touched on it um, you know about the possibility about whether or not we could consider uh, regional areas opening up let's say if one spot has a high number but edmonton stays low could edmonton open up farther or more than that other location. So some interesting questions uh, asked today as well. That question by Julia Wong over at Global Edmonton which a lot of people have been wondering about is, you know, we know that that first case of COVID-19 um, was detected. That was, it, it was confirmed March 5th in Alberta. We know that uh, countries around the world, including France, just this week, we know into the States down in, in California that uh, doctors, researchers, there suggesting that uh, COVID-19 might have shown up much earlier, uh, much earlier, earlier, earlier than uh, what was initially reported. She was asked about whether they're doing any research into that.